The Nonprofit Hour, a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do-gooders with interviews, profiles, and documentaries. You're listening to The Nonprofit Hour on X-Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. I'm Molly Jean Bennett. Today on our show, we have two short documentaries on Portland organizations that are facilitating important conversations that cut across issues that sometimes divide our community. We'll also hear about a new photography project from Sisters of the Road. Since 2008, Oregon Humanities has been engaged in what they call conversation work. And since the presidential election, people have been turning to them for help with that feeling that we just aren't listening to each other anymore. Producer Amy Craig set out to understand if conversation really can make a difference. The Lake Oswego Public Library on a Tuesday night is relatively quiet. In the middle of the library, there are about 12 chairs arranged in front of a podium and a large portable TV screen. The hope is that at 7.30, people will fill these chairs and have a conversation with each other. Tonight's conversation topic is privacy. Yeah, I really don't know what to expect. That's Linda. She has short white hair and a friendly face. Before the conversation began, I walked up to her and asked her why she came to the library, what she hoped to get out of the conversation, and her thoughts on privacy. But with all the um, mass media and um, electronic gadgets, and it just seems like privacy is harder to keep. So I thought I'd show up. The facilitator of the conversation tonight is Wendy Willis. She's led dozens and dozens of these conversations over the years. It's just interesting to see strangers negotiate important topics with each other. Really, it's um, it's always a learning experience. The subject matter is great. I mean, it's really inter- the content's really interesting, and I'm really interested in privacy and how people navigate thinking about privacy. But I'm really interested in just seeing how people, how much they reveal to each other, um, whether they're willing to disagree with each other. The conversation tonight is part of Oregon Humanities Conversation Project. Organizations, including libraries, invite a specific conversation into their space. They invite people to come have that conversation, and a facilitator shows up to lead it. Our conversation project leaders are facilitating the important questions that Oregon is facing. So we've got folks who are talking about race, we've got folks who are talking about equity, we have We don't come with an agenda, but our goal is to really open up the space so that people can share very differing point of views. My name is Rachel Bernstein. I'm the Partnership and Training Manager at Oregon Humanities. Oregon Humanities writes on their website about the Conversation Project, quote, We believe the conversation is a powerful medium to invite diverse perspectives, explore challenging questions, and strive for just communities. I've been wondering in the wake of the presidential election if creating just communities requires people to talk more about their differences. Like the conversation is the medicine we have to take to heal our divisive and divided selves. We have to talk our way into a more just community. So I asked Rachel at Oregon Humanities and Wendy, the conversation leader, what successful conversations look like. But really the goal is the people in the room talk, not the facilitators, and that there's probably, you're leaving with more questions than you are answers. Here's Wendy. 
people are thinking and being generous with their time with one another and and also experimenting with their thoughts rather than um, replicating talking points, I think that's a success. I was struck by the concept of people experimenting with their thoughts and asked Wendy to say more about it. Especially in the public sphere, everything is produced and tested. And, you know, I think one of the things that people like about Donald Trump is he actually says what's on his mind without pre-testing it. And it just goes out there and wherever it lands, it lands. And I think that's just exhilarating for people compared to what you're here, you you ex- have grown to expect from political speech. Maybe conversation is less like medicine and more like exercise, something we really need to be in the regular habit of to stay healthy. Talking to people with different views is important, sure, but maybe it's not so much about how their views shape our own. Maybe it's more about how their presence shapes ours. Maybe creating space for people to experiment with their thoughts, to be generous with their time, to just be together. It's possible that alone could make a difference. Well, that and not being jerks to each other. And so I think if we could have less scriptedness that's not um, combined with xenophobia, racism, and destructiveness, I think that would be good. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I think that giving people a chance to be authentic um, but not to be incendiary is really important. And I think that's, you know, even a tiny little conversational library can give people some of those opportunities. I didn't record the conversation about privacy at the Lake Oswego Public Library that night. I was asked not to. But I don't actually think that what was said was the most important part of the evening. Being authentic, creating space, leaving with more questions, none of that really feels like it addresses the issues that make us feel so divided. But then maybe there is something to it. Phil Bussey, this is the Nonprofit Hour on X-Ray FM. I am so happy to be joined by not one, but two, three representatives. I can call you each representatives of Sisters of the Road. Uh, We are going to talk today about a recent photography project that Sisters of the Road uh, facilitated. And, but to get there first, uh, let's get some context. And I'm joined with uh, Shannon Cogan, who is Director of Communication and Community Engagement for Sisters of the Road. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Phil. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. We've had Sisters of the Road here before and just um, are so impressed with the work that you all do and pushing 40 years old. Yeah. Not you, but the, the organization. Yeah. Yes, yes. We've been uh, right on that corner of 6th and Davis since 1979, so we're getting up there. Let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, um, uh, you you were not there 40 years ago, 38 years ago, <laughs> but but um, what do you know about why was that spot chosen, and, and does it have the same relevancy now that Portland has changed somewhat? Yeah, the neighborhood has certainly changed around us. Um, I, you can't see me, but I, I am not 40 years old, but um, the history and storytelling is a huge part of, of the way Sisters does things. And um, our founders, Jenny Nelson and Sandy Gooch, bartered um, and had 10 bucks for the spot that we're at on 6th and Davis. And at that time, obviously, Old Town and Chinatown were very different. There was no Pearl at the time. And um, I think that our, our presence there is hugely important. 
Um, and we certainly haven't uh, seen a demise in any of our business. We are busy as ever. So I think it's essential that we are still there. Uh, you know, I just I rewatched my own private Idaho mm -hmm. recently, which is a Gus Van Sant movie. And, and it's amazing. It was filmed 25 years ago. Uh, part of it in that neighborhood. Mm. And just to see, you know, they're, they're in the Governor Hotel, which was just an empty space at that time. Um, yeah, the changes, the changes are remarkable. Mm -hmm. One thing that you said about the history of Sisters of the Road uh, was that it's, it's about storytelling. Has that always been part of the mission? Or, I mean, did that, was that there from the inception or is that something that's come about more recently? Well, I think that storytelling has been there since the inception because stories are a huge part of how we build relationships with each other and how we get to know um, our community and the neighbors that we have around us. Um, and so stories being shared over a cup of coffee at Sisters are uh, as much a part of our mission as the actual sentence that there is. Um, so. I believe that storytelling is something that's evolved in how we do it. Uh, I would say mediums that we use, but storytelling, whether it be over a cup of coffee or now in video or photography form, is a part of Sisters. And we'll, we'll get there a little bit more specifically soon, but I, I, let's let's talk about those that don't know what Sisters the Road is. Can, mm -hmm. can you tell me what, what happens there every day? Yeah, um, so Sisters is a nonprofit and a low-cost cafe. So anybody can walk through our doors. We're a public space. We don't ask any questions about why you're there. Um, you, When you walk in for the first time, get a meal and a drink on the house. Um, but after that, it's $1.25. And the cafe is run by people who are oftentimes barter working for their meals. Um, so a half an hour of work earns you $3 towards Sisters. And you can use that to pay for a couple meals and drinks, which are 25 cents. So two drinks and two meals for a half an hour of work. It's a great deal. It's mm -hmm. an amazing deal. And I will say, just to make a quick plug, our coffee is 25 cents with free refills. And we have amazing local support from the most famous coffee roasters around town. So it's definitely the best deal in town. Yeah, and I think I want to underscore that idea that low cost. It's not. It's not a free. This is not. These are not. This is not handouts. No. And and that's very important to the function and and the, the form and the function of Sisters of the Road. Absolutely, we believe that anybody um, who walks through our doors has something that they can contribute to our space. Um, be it 15 minutes of window washing or a couple hours of dishwashing or helping out at our reception desk. Um, and so all of those are valued through our barter system. And, you know, I, I keep saying the word Sisters of the Road. That's, I mean, obviously, we're, we're here talking today about Sisters of the Road. But I, now that I actually think about what, what is that title? Who, where did that come about? That's not a normal name. Yeah, um, sometimes people think that we are nuns, um, and we are, we are not nuns. Um, Sisters is not religiously affiliated, but um, back in 1979, when Jenny and Sandy were talking to folks in the Old Town Chinatown neighborhood and asking them what they wanted, um, and Sisters is what, what people said they wanted, they also said, what would you want this place to be called? And uh, Sisters of the Road is a term that is... Um, Back in the day, it was a term for uh, unhoused women traveling on the road, sisters, so family, um, maybe not biological sisters, but people looking out for you. Yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and now, Sisters of the Road, Roy, it's, it seems to be really at the intersection of a lot of ideas. And he started talking about storytelling, uh, and, and obviously food is important about that, uh, community, 
uh, you know, and, and I think that a number of, uh, for lack of better words, trends uh, in terms of locally sourced food, and that was not in 1979 necessarily a concept, but now it's it's an important part of Sisters of the Road. Do you guys have yeah. your own garden? Is that right? Um, yeah, we had our own garden for a couple of years and we were able to uh, turn it over to the community members who were running it and had approached us about this idea um, for us to have our own garden. And so right next to Hazelnut Grove uh, at the intersection of Greeley and Interstate uh, is Greeley Food Forest. And for a long time, we were going out there every single week um, working on that project. And we're proud to say we were able to turn it back over to the people um, that came with the idea in the first place and brought their energy to it. And, and what about yourself? How did how did you end up at Sisters of the Road? Uh, I ended up at Sisters quite in a roundabout way, I think, as most people do. Um, I was living in Alaska and um, in a bush town, and I met someone there who's from Gresham. I was involved in some anti-racist community organizing out there, and that interest um, led them to tell me about Sisters. And I was like, wow, that is an interesting place that's uh, thinking and doing work in both uh, the charity model sense of like people need food and need food now, um, but also a dignity sense and a commitment to ending homelessness and poverty is a huge part of our mission. Um, and so I wanted to learn more about that. So I came and volunteered uh, for a year and then uh, eventually was hired on. And, and there's some changes coming up with Sisters of the Road in terms of uh, management and and uh, new hiring on uh, you guys are looking for executive director right we now. We are, we are. And I think what's interesting in, in that is that uh, Sisters of the Road has not had an executive director for seven years. I would uh, around five years. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We um, transitioned to a collective management model um, fully at the end of 2013 when our uh, executive director at the time, Monica Beamer, left. Um, that's when we became a flat management structure um, where. We function making decisions by 100% consensus and um, different management teams work together to run the organization. And I think the past uh, five or so years have been an amazing learning experience. Um, and we are hiring an executive director, I think coming in with a lot more knowledge about what we really appreciate from collectivity and um, what we want to retain from that model of doing things where everybody is a part of different decisions and how we want to move forward with an executive director at the helm. When you guys w w in the collective model, did anyone ever say, you're not the boss of me? <laughs> every day, every day, <laughs> someone wants to tell me how to do something. You're not the boss of me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it sounds like it's, it's uh, there's obviously virtues and vices exactly. to, to both models. Exactly. I think with any sort of, um, I mean, no workplace is perfect. And so we were really... Um, I think the people at the time uh, the decision was made were really taking a big risk. And um, with that comes an opportunity to learn a lot. And um, I, I think that we are grateful that that risk was taken and that we have been able to, to find out so much about decision making and leadership and facilitation and how to be a community led cafe. Um, and we, um, are also moving in a different direction now, which is which is good. Yeah. Shannon Cogan is the director of communication and, and community engagement for Sisters of the Road. We're going to take a quick music break, and, and Shannon, why, why don't you tell me who 
Max, oh, I'm going to get his name wrong. Mm, Max McCargar. McCargar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's a bit of a tongue twister <laughs> there. Uh, it has a nice rhythm to it. And so he's a local musician. Yes, Max um, played every week at Jimmy Max until recently. And he had also been coming into the cafe monthly and um, playing in, in our lobby area, just very low key on his guitar. And he brought in recording equipment um, and created this CD, which is available online now. And the uh, proceeds from buying it completely come to sisters. Um, and he named this CD tracks after different customers and things that we that we sell in the cafe. And so this is recorded precisely in Sisters Cafe, and it's called the Cafe Sessions. Let's take a listen. That was a track from the Cafe Sessions, which was recorded at Sisters of the Road, who is who are our guests today. Uh, we've been talking to Shannon Cogan, who's Director of Communication and C- Community Engagement for Sisters of the Road. 
Sisters has had uh, journalism and art projects and storytelling have uh, increasingly become part of the function. And uh, you have a couple of documentaries that mm -hmm. you've done. Mm -hmm. We do. Um, I think that um, we see um, as the part of our mission is uh, reaching the roots of homelessness and poverty to end them forever. And uh, we need each other to do that. And a part of that is creating opportunities and tools for cross-class communication, cross-class storytelling, um, and a way for people who are um, not centered in a lot of the journalism and storytelling around our city about gentrification, about um, houselessness, to be telling their own stories. And, and so in the studio today, we have Phoebe Oaks and Damian Blakely, who uh, Phoebe is a photographer and B Damien is a photographer and a poet. Um, we're going to talk to both of them. And recently, Sisters of the Road had Through Our Lens uh, photography exhibit. Um, both of you were part of that. That's, that is correct. Yes. And uh, tell me about, uh, tell me about, can you describe a couple of the photographs that were, were exhibited and, and then also where can people find them? Yes. So first of all, I'd like to just uh, say a little bit about this project and how we did it. Um, Damien and I were campmates, so we shared a lot of our experience. And this is a project through which various community members got to tell their story in photographs and in words. Um, and, and those were displayed around various locations around Portland, like traveling between different places at different times. Um, and Damien and I actually, uh, Damien was the main photographer, so a lot of the pictures that I used to tell my story were taken by him. Some of them were taken by me, the ones around the city, but since Damien tended to have a very good camera and was really looking to take pictures as he went about his, his daily life, um, and took some really good pictures of me and my experience. I ended up actually using some of those to tell my story as well. Um, yes. Damien, can you can you tell me about what your camera? Just let's can we get a little technical for a second? And and what sort of camera do you have? And sure, um, they gave me a twenty frame display Blowsable camera, and the second person I interviewed changed their their mind. A schizophrenic decided he didn't want his picture taken. I said, "It's a real camera." He said, "Can I break it?" I said, "Sure." <laughs> so, so, so I be, be began taking the twenty requested photographs with a hundred and fifty dollars Sony. And I was asked to take 20 photographs. I took 20. I said, oh, these are nice. These are good. I said, I'm good at this. I said, and the pictures need to be done. So I ended up taking, at first, 2,000. 2,000 photographs? Yes. And wow. I'm up to perhaps a, a bit over 25,000 pictures now. That's quite a catalog. It's prolific. It, Yes, I discovered that whenever you see photographs of homeless people and the homeless world in the newspapers, they aren't pretty. They don't look right. They are, aren't chosen to be, be 
nice. And I discovered that I can make homelessness and the homeless world as brutal as it is actually look beautiful. And as an artist, I kind of discovered that I more or less paint photographs. And many of the photographs actually basically came to me and so I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to take take them all and and um, talk to me a little bit about the composition of the photographs uh, are, are, are these are primarily of people um, but are people are our viewers going to recognize spots in Portland are these close-up portraits or are these uh, people in specific settings I took all sorts of photographs I offered up approximately 200 and they chose 50 and then they are showing approximately four, four, 14. That they are all different. That there are some close-up shots, there are some portraits, there are some f f photographs of homeless pe people sleeping. I have a picture of Mike and his faithful dog holding a sign. There are pictures of donated shoes outside of sisters. I came across the most beautiful pair of homeless dogs that were just mm. beautiful, and I took a, took, took a bunch of fo photographs of them. I took the equivalent of what looks like a frozen hand stuck under a lake. And I haven't mentioned this, but those photographs are dedicated to Zachary A. Young, who died during the wintertime while outside in the woods in the, the snow. And he died relatively close to where where I, I, I'm at. And they chose some artistic type f photographs as well. All 10 of us have d different f f photography styles and and I f found that to, to be fantastic. Damian Blakely is a photographer and a poet, and Phoebe Oaks is also a photographer who participated in Sisters of the Road through our lens. Um, Phoebe, how did you how did you learn to take photographs? Did you have a class? Did you just pick up a camera and and have instinctively know how to do it? Well, it's kind of instinctive for me. Um, I'm more of a visual artist, like I do drawing and painting a lot more than I do photography. Um, but there have been times when I have had a digital camera and I have just felt inspired to take shots here and there. It hasn't really been a regular thing for me. But when this photo voice project came up and I signed up to participate in it, I was given the dip disposable camera, like Damien mentioned. And I took a few shots just to... Uh, express different parts of my story that didn't necessarily overlap with camping with Damien. Um, I, I wanted them to capture aspects of my daily life where I would go about on my own in the city. Like for example, going to a certain women's shelter to shower. 
Um, a couple of my photographs are of the intersection where that shelter is and show the outside of it. I, I, I hope this question makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, I, was it more important to be the producer of the photographs or were you more interested in the audience that you were making them for? Uh, were you more interested in, in the art that you were doing or how much were you thinking about here's, here's something that I can show to people? I was thinking, I, I, I was really focused on something that I can show to people. Um, and I also wanted to fill in the gaps in my story uh, to tell different the different parts of it. Um, I actually took the disposable camera and took quite a few shots. Some of them were right near the campsite, but at a, a location that would have given it away where it was, I ended up deciding not to use those because I did not want to give away the location to the public uh, for the sake of Damien still living there and for the sake of anyone else still there. Um, but yeah, yeah so, so it was a little bit of both. It was a little bit of uh, telling my own story, filling in the gaps, and then deciding how to best convey it to an audience. And, and what, what is the impact that you were hoping? What, were you hoping somebody would have an emotional impact or you were hoping that this might change uh, policies at the city? Uh, I, I would say definitely both of those um, because I wanted to uh, tell a human story about homelessness um, and about how I've experienced it. Um, I wanted to shatter stereotypes around it. And of course, when we change our attitudes and when we start to see human beings in these situations, we're naturally moved to act on behalf of them and consider them part of our community instead of considering them others. Um, and people in need, we naturally help them when we identify more with them. Was, um, was there an opening night for the, for the Through Our Lens show? Yes. Yes, there was. Can can each of you describe uh, your emotions at that opening night of see, having people see uh, artwork that you were displaying? It was powerful, and it, it was the opening night went exceedingly well, and it was fantastic how. How interested that that the people w w were in the, the photographs. Mm -hmm. it, it was fantastic, and it, it's a, a traveling show too, and so that is just fantastic too. The, the more people that see it, the, the more open that that pe people's eyes will be become that that photographs of homelessness don't have to be ugly they can be beautiful and ar artistic and yet real at the same time so so where is through our lens uh right now in 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 uh mid late july uh through our lens is at portsmouth union which is um on north lombard and it is uh, the United Methodist Church uh, and the St. John's Community Church space. Um, and we're 
um, anticipating having a screening of Sisters documentary on the ground as well as um, a, a, an exhibit event um, in early August there before it moves on to its next location. This is the Nonprofit Hour on X-Ray FM. It's Phil Bussey. I'm talking to Shannon Kogan, who's the Director of Communications and Community Engagement. And we've been talking with Phoebe Oaks and Damian Blakely, both who are photographers and have uh, contributed to Through Our Lens. Let's take another uh, song from Max McCargar. Did I say that right? You got it. <laughs> yeah, you got it down. I always feel like I'm stumbling on it. Max yeah. McCargar, mm -hmm. uh, who recorded uh, these songs at Sisters of the Road. Uh, we're going to pull another track from that right now. That was Max McCargar, and that was a song from his album, his set of tracks, which uh, each are named for uh, patrons or, or uh, visitors to Sisters of the Road. And yeah, some are named for patrons, and some are named uh, like Apple Juice Number One, uh, which is a very popular drink order at the cafe. <laughs> Excellent. I want to talk a little bit more. Uh, we're joined right now with uh, by Phoebe Oaks and and Damian Blakely, who are both photographers. Uh, Damian is also a uh, poet and uh, handed me an envelope, uh, which he told me, Damien, what, what is, this is my homeless camp kit. Homeless uh, camp kit. Yes. And, and it has a number of, uh, it has, uh, a, it has a poem inside of it, mm -hmm. uh, as well as a number of things. I have, have a, uh, uh, 
why don't you describe? I have I have life savings. I have a penny. Yes, taped to a, a cardboard piece of cardboard. You have your homeless life savings. Mm-hmm. You have a tent. You have two tent poles. You have <laughs> emergency blankets, one or possibly two tarps, depending on the kit. And you have your very own notice of criminal trespass for illegal camping and being homeless is technically illegal. And so on the back of the card, I um, kind of put down, you know, many homeless campers end up having a criminal record simply because they are camping either downtown, in the woods, under a bridge, on the water. Yeah, and, and, and so so uh, my homeless camp kit uh, fits in a normal uh, size envelope, all of which Damien just, just mentioned was fit in there. I, I do want to talk about this notice of, of trespass and illegal camping. I feel Portland is such an... Uh, 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 there's such a dichotomy. There's so many great services, like Sisters of the Road, uh, to support... Uh, people uh, who who are living outside and and but then at the same time the there's a real uh, other push which seems to come from City Hall which is not as um, compassionate mm-hmm. uh, and and how how do you view that Damien in terms of uh, treatment by the police uh, how what sort of experiences have you had that you're willing to share my personal experience Experiences. I, I've been fairly lucky when it comes to the authorities because I understand law, I know the law, and I don't often look homeless. So my interactions with them have been more better than most experienced. But still, I have been kicked out of the woods. I have been threatened with um, legal sanctions although I have been able to talk myself out of the, uh, them. But uh, there will always be homeless people, and there will always be homeless people who need to camp in tents. And the police have a job to do, but they overall do not treat homeless people very well. Uh, the courts do not treat homeless people very well either. Poor people in general have a harder time getting proper justice, understanding the law, and so forth. What strikes me most of all is that it shouldn't be a criminal activity to have to sleep outside and or camp, and yet it is still a, it it, it is still considered to be a criminal activity. And so there are so many homeless people who have maybe never had a criminal record before, and suddenly they had to explain, well, I have a conviction for, well, I have three trespass convictions. I have three convictions for urinating uh, behind a tree or this and that and this and that. Uh, I'm hoping that that will change. And and if you could sit down with with Mayor Ted Wheeler, what suggestions would you have uh, for how City Hall could could better uh, support homeless men and women? That's a big question. Let's. <laughs> well, I'm actually going to start with I would tell him to start taking care of the homeless women first, 
And then I would follow that, that, that up with take homelessness seriously. It's not going away, and there is only so much you can do. And I would then tell them, arresting people, citing people, and fining people for sleeping on the streets is not a solution. It's only jamming up the justice system. There's a lot of drug addiction on the streets. Drug addicts and alcoholics are not going to become sober and clean on the, the streets. There are there is a tremendous amount of mental illness on the streets as well, and I think I would remind Ted that it's tough being homeless and that what makes people homeless tends to make people more homeless and more chronically homeless. And I would also tell him, build more housing. <laughs> I would say build more housing, and I would say understand that homeless people are just as real as housed people. And Damien, you, you seem to have really been uh, bitten with the photography bug from yes. this project. Uh, yes. tell, tell me about, so you're, you're continuing uh, as a photographer, and there's, there seems to be no stopping you now. There is no stopping <laughs> me. I recently bought my first real professional camera. And, and so I will be continuing that. So I, I do continue to interview homeless people. I document them. I document the homeless world. I spend approximately half of my income on my art and art-type projects. I am hoping to show a lot more f photographs at different galleries, at different types of shows. I came up with my own thing where I will print up fairly large prints and I will choose whole sets of photographs and I will write homeless stories, poems on the actual things. And so I'm still trying to f figure out how I can help and where, where, where are you finding your ideas for style or for, are, are these coming, are you inventing your style out of whole cloth or are you, do you have photographers that you've seen in the past or types of photographs that you really like that, that are guiding your style? No, I, I don't really follow any specific photographer's style except one, but, but he didn't home, um, but, but he's a very artistic photographer. I have never studied photography, but I'm an artist, and so the photographs themselves tend to come out artistically and aesthetically pleasing. What I am hoping to do, too, soon, though, even though I'm still homeless, I'm planning on beginning to make films through, I believe they are called Open Point? Open Signal? Open Signal. Yeah. Oh, fantastic organization, formerly Portland Community Media. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yes. Yeah. So, 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 so I'm hoping to expand. I'm hoping to share all the art and the, the f f photographs I, I, I take as much as possible to bring attention to the homeless homeless world. Th those kits were part of that kind of I idea, too. 
the the kits are cute. The tents are b beautiful and cool things. But, but it also opens up people's eyes to, oh, suddenly, oh, look at this. I have an actual tent. I have an actual tarp. I have actual life savings. And, oh, I have a criminal record. <laughs> so it, it, it's a cute way to bring attention to. And Phoebe, you also were part of the uh, Through Our Lens uh, uh, exhibit and before that you said you had done painting and drawing? Yes, oh. that is correct and I still do a lot of painting and drawing. Yeah, talk to me about what's what's the next uh, artistic project that you have uh, lined up. Is there one? Uh, I actually just finished a major project and that was uh, drawing the front of one of the women's shelters in town. The manager actually commissioned me to draw the front of the building and now she's going to frame it and put it up. It's a pencil drawing. It took about 30 hours, maybe a little bit more than that. That's dedication. Yes. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Phoebe Oaks and Damian Blakely are both uh, photographers, artists, mm -hmm. and who participated in Sisters of the Road uh, project called Through Our Lens. Thank mm -hmm. you both for joining us in the studio today. Mm -hmm. And uh, Shannon Kogan is the Director of Communication and, and Community Engagement for Sisters of the Road. Thank you so much for joining us as well. Thank you for having us here. You want to choose one more track from Max McCarga's uh, album? Absolutely. Turn it up. I like the DJ, the DJ track. Excellent. Let's take yeah. a listen.
before we end our show today, let's hear producer Carly Meisberger's story about the important conversations happening at the Portland Playhouse. Is the theater in there? Let me guide you in. Let's let's take you in. Yeah. Hi, what's your name? Carly. Carly. Robert. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And this is McKinley, an apprentice. Uh, Portland Playhouse has been a part of the Portland community since 2008. The Playhouse resides in an old church in the King neighborhood, and the story goes that in 2012, the city issued a cease and desist. But then something amazing happened. The community rallied. The neighborhood led an appeal to the city council, and the decision was overturned. The Playhouse could stay. I asked co-founder Nikki Weaver why she believed the community came together to save Portland Playhouse. Yeah, you know, I think the community saw that we were doing something positive for the neighborhood, that we were creating positive change, a place where people could come and have dialogues about community, about race, about relationships, um, and that it was a place uh, similar to a congregation where people want to gather to have possibly spiritual awakenings while watching um, live entertainment. I am all things that God has created, and God is all things that have been created in me. That's who I am. Tamara Lynn is a part of the 10-month apprenticeship program at Portland Playhouse. The program is designed to help graduated or young artists transition into the professional realm of theater. I asked Tamara to tell me more about the piece I had just seen her perform. Okay, so the piece is called Action, and it's spelled A-K-S. H-E-N, which is the, I think, the phonetically correct way to spell action. And so it's basically me asking myself just what, who I am in life and what experiences and what things, how they affect me and how I portray myself to the world and how the world sees me. It's like I'm carrying this, this, this luggage, this luggage of burden, and, and it's a weight on me, and I want to let go of that. So I think I find uh, a knowing of who I am once the piece is over. Apprentices devote time to their specific craft, areas that include acting, design, directing, and stage management. I spoke to another young apprentice, Robert Durante, about his experience in the apprentice company. And ultimately, the goal is to learn both on stage and off, have opportunities to perform on stage with professional actors through productions that happen throughout the year, um, and ultimately produce our own show, which is what we're working on right now. Our solo shows are the culmination of 10 months of hard work, blood, sweat, and tears. But the Playhouse provides more than just theater experience. It also provides a place for open dialogue, uncomfortable experiences, and exploring difficult issues. I had a bit of a, an, an odyssey and an, uh, an awakening in terms of racial tensions and racial relations in the United States. All of that is really coming to a head right now, I think in a very violent and chaotic way. And it wasn't that I was against Black Lives Matter or anything like that. I think I was just ignorant and I wasn't paying attention. But my time here working on plays by August Wilson, being able to watch material from amazing African-American artists and and also working with many of my fellow artists uh, who are African-American and listening to the struggles and the fear that they have on a daily basis has really brought those issues to the forefront and to the surface for me. Robert says being a part of the apprenticeship program has helped him become more sensitive to social issues, which is exactly what Portland Playhouse aims to do in the community. By exposing diverse audiences to artistically forward shows, they hope to spark conversations and hopefully create change. I say, and the fact still remains, I am hurting and I will have these 
scissors in my hand and I will... Carly Meisberger, reporting from Portland Playhouse for X-Ray FM. And then I will like a blackout and a sound out. This show was made possible with the support of Shout House, a multi-use community arts and event space founded by Hand to Mouth Theater. Centrally located in Portland's Central East Side Industrial District, Shout House features a 1,000 square foot studio with sprung floors, state-of-the-art sound system, 24-hour access, and other amenities. Available for rehearsals, meetings, workshops, classes, photo shoots, parties, and private events with flexible rates to match your budget. For more information, go to shouthousepdx.com. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, xray.fm. Our host is Phil Bussey, and our producer and editor is Molly Jean Bennett. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where our handle is Nonprofit Hour. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to molly at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in to the Nonprofit Hour on KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. Join us on Monday mornings at 6 a.m. and Tuesday afternoons at 1. And have a great week.